Do you have a ghost howling in your house? Do you have a werewolf stalking you at night? Do you have a vampire in your attic? Is Bigfoot walking beside you in the forest? Do you have cryptids and paranormal events and encounters in your life that you can't explain? Do you need explanations into the unknown? Well, I have a solution for your problems. The Foggy Jack Paranormal Research Foundation. For more information, please visit www.foggyjackparanormal.weebly.com. And remember, the thing stalking you at night may want to kill you. Hello and welcome back to the Pumpkin Patch. Today it is episode 3 of the Foggy Jack Collective Podcast, where the haunters meet the haunted from around the world. Thank you guys for joining us here at episode 3. Hope you guys enjoy. Make sure you rate and review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And also, make sure you follow us on our social media accounts at FoggyJack13. Thank you guys, and let's head on down to the Pumpkin Patch. You're listening to the Foggy Jack Collective Podcast. You I'm a phantom. I'm a goblin. I'm a very wicked ghost. But conditions are the worst we've ever seen. When we look at all the headlines that they print from coast to coast, we're afraid to leave the house this Halloween. When the kids came home from school on roller skates or wagons, it was sport to follow them and make a noise like dragons. Now the kids in rocket ships go roaring through the clouds. Oh, I tell you, we are shaking in our shrouds. I'm a demon. I'm a werewolf. I'm a snapping, snarling spook. And it used to be a pleasure to be mean. But if children love that groaning from a box they call the juke, we won't leave our haunted house this Halloween. Well, gentlemen, that was really very well sung, and you're so right. What do you mean, Ken? Said he, knowing full well what to expect. Well, being this year, it's really tough on spooks all over. Philco has just thrown a block on the spooks that haunt phonograph records. You know, those pixelated little people that hiss, hum, squeak, and snore through the solo parts and muffle up violins and voices. Well, you never hear a peep out of them anymore when your records are played with Philco's new electronic scratch eliminator. This brand new device from the Philco Laboratories lets you hear all the words and music. Banishes needle scratch and surface noise from any phonograph record, old or new. No hiss, no squeak, no scratch. It's all music with a blissful background of silence. Take a couple of your records you like best to your Philco dealer now. He'll be glad to demonstrate the Philco Electronic Scratch Eliminator on the Philco 1270 radio phonograph, along with the whole works in radio, including Philco Advanced FM. Go hear the Philco 1270, the last word in radio phonographs from Philco, the leader.
Hello, you're listening to Foggy Jack Podcast. My name is Aubrey, and this is my first segment with the podcast. I thought, what better way to start my first segment than to start off with what I think is one of the scariest bit of folklore in my very own state of Indiana. Okay, so let's get into it with Gary, Indiana's very own hell house. Now, this house was so messed up that Zach Baggins later bought it and demolished it because he was so freaked out by it. And if you don't know who Zach Baggins is, he's like the main guy from Ghost Adventures, a show that I think, I believe, is on like the Travel Channel. So this all started in about 2011 with a mother whose name was Latoya, her three children, and her mother, Rosa. They moved into this house in Gary, Indiana, and at first, like, things were kind of mild. They noticed, though, that in the winter, there were just huge swarms of flies everywhere. It was huge horse flies, and no matter what they did, they could not get rid of them. But it didn't just stop with the flies. Things started to move around the house. They would hear footsteps when nobody was around, and doors that they swear were locked would be open. You know, typical haunted house stuff. But things didn't just stop there. Things got really physical and really scary really fast. One night, the grandmother Rosa was sleeping when she felt hands go around her neck and felt like she was being choked. She tried to fight it off, and the only thing that stopped it was when she started praying. But this wasn't the only instance she had of feeling attacked either. She also said there was another instance while she was alone in the house and she couldn't stop coughing. She felt like something was in her lungs but didn't know what. And she only stopped coughing and choking again when she prayed. So while Rosa was getting the more physical part of these hauntings, Latoya at the same time was starting to have nightmares and seeing strange shadow figures. She said once she had a dream that there was this large black mist coming for her, and when she woke up, she found muddy boot prints that led away from her bed. So with all of this that happened with Latoya and Rosa, they finally realized that there was something messed up in their house, and their first move was to call a psychic and see if they could get help. Now the psychic's first piece of advice was get the hell out. Move out of the house right away. But moving is expensive and they just didn't have the money for that. The second piece of advice that the psychic gave them was to put an altar in the basement. The psychic believed that all of the bad energy that was happening in the house stemmed from the basement and also believed that about 200 demons lived in there. The final piece of advice that the psychic gave them was to cleanse the house. So... What Latoya and Rosa did was they took sage and they smudged up the house. They said that they burned sage so much that the smoke was hard to breathe through. And they also decided that they were going to recite Psalm 91, which says, You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. And while they were reading this verse over and over again, things started to fly, mostly religious items. So then this method worked for about three days and then shit really hit the fan especially with the kids the kids started to feel like they were getting pushed and pulled one kid was in the basement when he started feeling a stabbing pain he decided to recite verses from the bible but the more he read the more pain he was in and they also started having horrible nightmares where they just would lose so much sleep that latoya would keep them home from school often 
Latoya was getting really desperate and also DCS was starting to become involved. So Latoya decided the next best thing was to take her children to the hospital because one of her sons was acting particularly strange and started speaking in tongues. The hospital did a full evaluation on all of the family and found out that they were of sound mind. But while one of the kids was in the hospital, it was like a light switch. He was fine one second and then the next he lunged for his brother and started to choke him. At the time, there was a nurse and a DCS worker in the room, and it took these two adults to pry this kid off his brother. And when they did, it said that he started speaking in satanic verses and walked backwards up the ceiling. Now, I would feel like this is hard to believe, but the nurse and the DCS worker both had the same story, and both of them refuse to work with this family after that and I do not blame them. So unfortunately after that DCS decided to take the children temporarily while Latoya figured out what to do about her messed up house. They wanted her to move but she just didn't have the money so she decided that she was going to try to fix it and her next move was to have a priest come do an exorcism of the house. Unfortunately this first time really failed. Nothing happened. It was still the same, and she still couldn't get her children back. So after this failed exorcism attempt, she still had DCS come out to evaluate her house to see if she could have her children back. And while DCS came out, they had a different caseworker because the original caseworker who saw the kid walk up the ceiling did not want to keep working with them, and they also had police officers come with them. Now. When the police got there, they also experienced strange things. One police officer was alone in the house when his FM radio turned on without him touching anything. He started messing with it, trying to get it off, and all it had was static. But the static kept getting louder and louder until finally through the static came a deep voice that said, You in there. Other police officers were taking pictures around the house when they noticed that the pictures would come out with misty or blurry forms in them, and they knew that nobody was around and there was nothing wrong with their camera. A police officer even got a strange voice caught on a recording device. He was alone in the house when the device picked up just a hello, but he knew that didn't come from him and there was no one else around. For whatever reason, the police officer's next move was to check out the basement and dig a hole in it. They didn't really find anything. They said that they unearthed women's underwear, some fake nail press-ons, and a few pieces of trash, but nothing else. I'm not entirely sure what they were looking for, but whatever they were looking for, they, they didn't find anything to give them insight on all the messed up stuff that was happening in this house. So once the police left, they all had the same report that something strange was going on in this house. And I know that, like, a lot of ghost stories, you can feel like maybe they're lying. But when a nurse, DCS workers, and police officers all say that this house has something in it, you know this cannot be made up at this point. So finally, Latoya decided to have one last exorcism. And the priest decided this exorcism would be on Latoya herself because he was worried that she was possessed. And when he did do it, he noted that clear liquid started to seep from the walls, and that whenever he pressed, like, a religious item to her, which could be, like, a cross or something, he noticed that she would convulse or flinch. And when he was done, I don't know if they believed that it was successful, 
but it obviously wasn't because of future events that I'm about to get into. So shortly after this last exorcism, Latoya actually was able to afford to move out of the house, which is good because it was one of DCS's requirements to get her kids back. But what's really weird about this whole DCS situation is that they also have a requirement for her to not speak about this stuff with their kids anymore. They kind of insinuated that they believed it was fake. But if they believed it was fake, why did they also require her to get out of the house? I don't know. That was just kind of weird and a little hypocritical to me. But that's not where the story even ends. So after she had moved out of the house, the landlord had tried to find other tenants and these tenants would be like, oh, you know, no problem. Like, I don't believe in this stuff. I'm not scared. But most people didn't even last a year in there. And so the house actually sat empty for quite a bit before Zach Baggins from Ghost Adventures bought it. So when he bought it, he also was like, oh, it's no big deal. Like, he does this all the time. He's a seasoned ghost hunter. It's nothing new. But he noticed when he got there that very soon after that, people in his crew were just being super aggressive. He himself felt like horrible mood swings that would come from nowhere, and that started to worry him. He also reported to start feeling sick while he was in the house and get horrible headaches, and it would take days for him to recover just from being in the house. And one night he decided to stay alone in the house, and it's said that he got an eye injury, but I'm not entirely sure how he got that injury that was permanent. All I know about this injury is that he didn't need to wear glasses before he made this Hell House documentary, and it's said that after this experience, after his night alone in the Hell House, he, he did, and it has been that way ever since. So when he finally left the Hell House and finished his documentary, he decided he was going to tear it down. This affected him so much that he didn't want anybody else to be in that house. So it got demolished. But even if it was demolished, people still believe that this place is a vortex for spiritual beings, and police still get calls about seeing figures out on the property, and a lot of people who pass by this area in Gary, Indiana, have said they felt strange or felt uncomfortable or have seen strange things. To wrap up, I'm always somebody who I'm willing to believe a lot of things, but I also want to look at things skeptically. But with this story, I don't know. There's just so much about this story that seems so real. Like I said before, a DCS worker, a nurse, and police all have the same experiences with this house and with this family that are just so strange and terrifying. And like, what did all of these people have to gain? Latoya, I'm sure, has not really made money on this, and she lost her children. I mean, temporarily, but still, that's a heavy price to pay to spin a story. Like, there's just no way somebody would make up a story and risk their children. You can tell if you watch interviews or read articles that she loves her children, and this was hard for her. And on top of that, what did the nurse, the DCS worker, the police have to gain? I mean, we don't really know much of them. They have been in interviews, but there is very little fame on their part for to make up this story. And even then, Zach Baggins also took a loss on this. He destroyed the house. He could have kept it and captured more evidence, run like Return to the Hell House episodes. But no, he demolished the house. 
And on top of that, the landlord even believed Latoya's story. And I don't think he had too much to gain in this either. Yeah, he did sell his house to Zach Baggins, but for a period of time, he was losing money with how many tenants would just up and leave. He could not find somebody to stay in this house. It was even sitting there for at least a year empty. That's a lot of loss for him. So there is just, in my mind, in my opinion at least, no way that these people would risk this all for a tiny bit of coverage and fame. I just don't think that they gained enough, or and I don't think they thought they would gain enough for this to all be made up, to risk this. I, I don't know. I, I wonder what you guys think, but as of right now, I'm stamping this as, like, pretty hard evidence that something weird was definitely going on in this house. I mean, I feel like it takes a lot to scare even Zach Baggins out of keeping this haunted house when he has a museum of just the most haunted items and this one house just did him in. (laughs) He was just like, nope, not gonna happen, not gonna keep it. You know, that just seems like a lot for all. This just is such an interesting case and it, I don't know. I just, I am fully on the bandwagon of some weird is going on on this property. But anyways, this was the story of Gary Indiana's very own Hell House, a story that I believe is one of the most terrifying stories that my home state of Indiana has. You've been listening to Aubrey of Foggy Jack Podcast. Stay tuned for more spooky stories in the future. Here at the Foggy Jack Live Podcast, we support Haunters Against Hate because hate is the scariest thing of all. A simple statement has evolved into a nonprofit organization that gives haunters a voice to express themselves and the challenges they are facing in life and in the haunt community. For more information, please visit www.hauntersagainsthate.com.
The Foggy Jack Live Podcast and the Foggy Jack Collective Podcast. We are proud to support our friends and our family in the LGBTQIA plus community. And you are always welcome and safe here. Hello, and this is Ty from the Foggy Jack Live Podcast. And I just want to let you know that you are not alone. If you are struggling, if you are thinking about hurting yourself, or if you know someone who is, please extend an arm, extend a hand, and give them this number, or you can call this number as well, 800-273-8255. It's 800-273-8255. You are more important than you know, you are more loved than you know, and you are needed. Hello, I'm Kat, and this is Cryptid Case Files. In this segment, we're going to delve into the lore of a different cryptid each time. Today, we're going to be talking about a legendary cryptid, one of the big names in the world of cryptozoology, the goat-sucking entity themselves, the infamous Chupacabra. So let's get suck, I mean stuck in, shall we? To start with, there are many different physical descriptions of the Chupacabra. 
Eyewitness reports have come from as far apart as Puerto Rico, Chile, Russia, the USA, and the Philippines. Some descriptions describe the creature as canine-like, while others attribute the animal with more reptile-like qualities, and some even talk about an alien-like monster. Depending on who you ask, the first incident involving the Chupacabra either happened in 1975 or 1995. The 1975 incident is attributed to the Mocha Vampire, but could this be the first true encounter with the Chupacabra itself? The Mocha Vampire was blamed for the murder of 15 cows, 3 goats, 2 geese and a pig. All of these creatures had strange perforations in their skins and had apparently been drained of blood. A month later, a cow was found in similar condition. Sightings of this creature included a description of some kind of giant unknown bird. Other people theorised it was an alien as there were constant UFO sightings over Puerto Rico around this time. Others still theorised that the animal to blame was some kind of giant vampire bat. However, a farmer named Luis Torres thought he had finally identified the culprit when he killed two massive Puerto Rican boas, both measuring around six foot long and about to attack one of his cows. This would perhaps have accounted for at least some of the slaying, but this was not as thought the vampire, which struck again in March 1975, killing and draining the blood from a bunch more goats. The next time, however, we really hear about this uh, sort of creature terrorising livestock in this manner seems to not be until the first incident involving the chupacabra in March 1995 in Puerto Rico. In this instance, the bodies of eight sheep were found completely and utterly drained of blood. The sheep each displayed three puncture wounds in their chest. The first sighting of this creature happened just five months later in August when an eyewitness reported spotting the animal in the township of Canavanas. Uh, They said the creature was bipedal, around four to five feet tall, with spikes running down its back, long and thin arms and legs, and an oblong head with red or black eyes, and reported that to hop like a kangaroo. Some eyewitnesses also report the smell of sulphur emanating from the animal. The original report and sketch of the creature came from an eyewitness named Madeline Tolentino. Some cryptozoologists have, however, dismissed this witness, saying that the creature described bears a strong resemblance to the alien-human hybrid in the movie Species, which came out earlier that year and which had been viewed by the woman in the weeks leading up to the sighting. I'm not sure if this is necessarily dismisses the chance that this woman did see what she saw, I mean, who says that an alien species or the like wouldn't study certain images in our media before they came to Earth and copy what they see or perhaps project themselves in this way? Who knows? Like, this could be, you know, the idea that they see, oh, this is what humans think aliens look like. So to show them that I will appear like this creature. I'm not sure. I just, that was (laughs) a little thought I had. Um... So what is certain, though, is that since 1995, there have been thousands of animals in Puerto Rico that have been found with odd puncture wounds. So what is causing this? Uh, The official response to these attacks is that it's packs of stray dogs. Uh, But this only really addresses the fact that the puncture wounds are small and likened to those of canine teeth. However, it doesn't account for the strange triangle of holes nor does it explain the depth of these puncture wounds, which is often up anywhere up to five inches. Uh, this does not correspond with any known creature. 
the animal corpses also weirdly do not ever enter rigor mortis. These attacks are also blamed on some kind of religious sect or cult, but this makes no sense when we take into account the sheer number of these attacks, which are incredibly frequent, um, they've been going on long term, and they occur at multiple locations. This would have to be an absolutely giant operation, and it just seems like what, what would the point be in this? Um, as we said earlier, there have also been sightings of canine-like chupacabra outside of Puerto Rico, but largely the identity of these creatures is attributed to a more canine-like creature, and so people just write this off always as being canines with mange, which according to theorists um, would explain why they might be going after livestock as the disease would weaken them, make it harder for them to hunt wild prey. Perhaps, though, these are just another type of cryptid with a similar... Um, feeding technique or maybe they're a variant of the same species that we find in Puerto Rico that evolves slightly differently um, on the mainland you know uh, or even like completely different yet similar you know in the way that animals like a hedgehog evolved on like around the world but then in Madagascar there's an animal that's like a hedgehog that's not a hedgehog nor is it related because it evolved the same thing but in a different place um, so what are some theories on the identity of the chupacabra? Number one is that the creature is an alien animal hybrid experiment made by the US government or potentially just some kind of genetically modified animal that got loose. This is interesting, especially when looking at the 1995 experiment, because the first reports in this spate of Puerto Rican chupacabra attacks came right after Hurricane Luis and apparently locals heard loud screams during the violent hurricane and then woke up to find their livestock mutilated. Could the storm potentially have damaged the military facility holding the creature and allowing it to escape? There is a military base on the island, so who knows? Um, I also found it interesting that monkey species, um, which were not indigenous to Puerto Rico, were brought over to the island um, by scientists in the 1930s and then escaped and potentially could this have something to do with the attacks uh, these monkeys are documented to be aggressive towards humans especially um, and in addition to this primates such as chimpanzees have been observed using tools and even weapons uh, members of a troop of chimpanzees living in Fongoli, Senegal have been observed by scientists fashioning tree branches into spears and using them to hunt and kill bush babies. So, I don't know, maybe these monkeys have been worked out a way to use a tool to take the blood out of certain animals. Who knows, maybe they were even like taught something whilst they were in uh, scientific experiments or like observed stuff that scientists were doing and and learned, learned how to do it themselves. I feel like, potentially, that could be a thing. <laughs> I don't know, I'm just spitballing. But, you know, it's something to think about. Um, another theory put forward is that this is some kind of alien pet that was left on the island. As we mentioned earlier, there was a huge amount of UFO activity on the island in the 1970s and continuing to present day, so I guess we can't really count this out. Um, or potentially it's not a pet, it's an alien species in its own right. There have been comparisons drawn between these creatures and the grey type aliens. Um, 
What if this area, due to natural phenomena, phenomena or the military tampering, has opened some kind of portal, allowing these things to come through? Um, we also can't forget that these killings are suspected to be something to do with some kind of um, religious cult. So, like, even if not all of them are, potentially some of them are, what if these creatures that people are seeing are demonic apparitions summoned by these groups at the sites of the attacks? Um, who knows? Um, and, of course, we have to mention that this could be something more akin to what some eyewitnesses described. You know, maybe it's like a giant bat or bird-like creature, something that only evolved in this area, or something that we maybe think is extinct, and or maybe it's now even travelled and spread, and that's why we're getting more and more sightings of these. Um, I'm thinking, potentially, I don't know. We don't know the eating habits of all dinosaurs or flying lizards or anything, and it is quite often given, like, reptilian qualities. So I thought that was an interesting thing to mention. Um, but yeah, what do you think? I've been Cat Clifford, and this has been Cryptid Case Files. For more discussion on amazing cryptids, mythological creatures, and more, check out the podcast Strange Stuff Sideshow. Tune in for more Cryptid Case Files next time. As always, thanks to Foggy Jack. In the meantime, keep it creepy, keep it curious, keep it cryptozoological.
When you watch horror movies in summer, do you cry out of angst for the Halloween season? <laughs> Have you ever wondered what happens behind dark, spiderweb-encrusted curtains of a haunted house? Well, boy, oh boy, do I have a solution to all of your aching problems. The Foggy Jack Live Podcast. Where the haunters meet the haunted. Each week on the show, you'll learn behind-the-scenes info of the haunt industry, the talk of the paranormal and cryptid industry. We also talk about horror movies, Halloween, and so much more. So please join us each week for this creepy, kooky, mysterious, and spooky Foggy Jack Live podcast. And we'll catch you down in the pumpkin patch where the haunters meet the haunted. The Foggy Jack Live podcast is found anywhere podcasts are sold, distributed, or streamed. Please follow us on all our social media accounts at foggyjack13. Please note this podcast is not responsible for explosive diarrhea, vomiting, erectile dysfunction, heartworms, or major migraines as a result of listening to the show.